there's tremendous freedom that comes in forgiveness. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. Uh, but I do know just, I mean, it's been years that I have forgiven my abuser. However, I did not know if he knew that. I did not know if his family knew that. And that's so many years in the past that I don't know where he's at today. That's not my responsibility. But I did let him know that I wanted him to be released and I wanted him to know that I have forgiven and that it has um, really actually caused me to be who I am today. And honestly, I wouldn't change it for anything because of that. But I just, I guess my plug is that when we choose forgiveness, we get freedom. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I have Bobby Joe Heggie, and Bobby Joe and I met through a friend who was actually one of the guests in the podcast, Sarah May. And uh, you might have heard her episode was one of the first ones I did. And I could, actually, Bobby Joe was a part of Sarah May's journey in her uh, grief process after she had a double amputation. And um, that's how we connected was through Sarah May. So I'm so excited to have you here, Bobby Joe. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. Yes. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that Sarah May connected us. And I know that when we talked last time, we probably would have not had enough hours in the day <laughs> to be able to finish talking. <laughs> right? <laughs> because we we had, yeah, we could have kept on going. It was so amazing to get to know you and hear your story and also get to hear how you were part of Sarah May's journey, which I had heard about you, but actually then knowing who you were in her story just made a whole other, it, it like connected all these p pieces of the puzzle together. Right. So anyway, you are a life coach and, uh, and a, uh, also a, a whole bunch of things. You have a website called the worth project. And so we're going to kind of start from present to back. So what led you then to become a life coach? What was your life story that brought you to where you are here, where you are now? Oh, wow. Such a loaded question. Um, well, I can tell you uh, there's various, I can see stakes that got me from point A to B that connected the, the dots that got me to where I am today. But my early beginnings, actually, I when I was a little girl starting at the age of seven, I was sexually abused. And uh, I was sexually abused for eight years, pretty much every night of my life to the best of my recollection. And of course, on the outside, to the outside world, my family, myself, I looked like the perfect child from the poster family. You know, my father was a preacher. I went to a Christian school. My mom was my own English teacher. 
my dad, chairman of the board, head cheerleader I was in choir, voted most likely to succeed, had a full ride scholarship to a private college. But what no one knew was that I carried a deep, dark secret. In fact, not even my parents knew. And so that was kind of my early beginning. My life kind of started out messy, um, actually. And So one of the things that happened with that, and I'm sure that if anybody listening has gone through any experience like that, unfortunately, what happens is um, left to our own self, we can label ourselves. And in my case, I labeled myself bad. And so that was my that was my narrative. That was my script. And of course, as you know, those scripts and become our story and stories have patterns. And so uh, those patterns kept going on throughout my life and. Uh, I, on the outside, looked like this perfect mother, homeschooled her children, very successful, people-pleasing, performance for or performing for acceptance to um, win the approval of others. But inside, I was really dying. And actually, um, to the root of it all, I would say I didn't know who I was. Um, I just allowed people to define who I was. I labeled, again, that major word bad was my was my name. And so I had no idea who I was. And uh, then after uh, my kids were probably junior high, and actually up until junior high, I apologize, I looked for everything wrong with me. And of course, a bad person would do that. Everything wrong with me. Um, Somebody who would mention someone bipolar, um, borderline personality, uh, narcissist, I looked for everything wrong with me, every disease, every disorder. I was sure I had it because I was trying to fix myself. Um, Then one day I sent a message to my sister and I said, you know, I'm going to start believing what God says about me. He died for me. He is alive today. He is um, preparing a future for me. So I think I'm going to start believing what he says about me. He created me. And I remember after I sent the text, I was like, wow, that feels amazing. And so that's where I turned my direction toward what could be right with me. And that led me on a journey of personal growth and development. I got certified. And what were some of the things? Go ahead. No, go ahead. I hear you. And by the way, if the listeners, when you're listening, if by chance you hear me interrupt Bobby Joe, sometimes there's delays. Today just happens to be one of those. Yeah. So if by chance you hear me either ask her the same question again or interrupt, just know that there's a little bit of delay in our in our communication today. So sorry, go ahead. So what were some of the things that then you started to see that you that were good with you, that you started to bring up? of what God would see in you and call it for yourself, name it for yourself. Right. Well, first of all, I was determined I was not going to have mental or victim mentality. I did not know what that looked like. I did not know how to get there, Mm -hmm. but that's what kept me motivated. I will not have victim mentality. And so I, I just started searching. I started searching in the Bible. I started searching in um, different places at Tony Robbins, John Maxwell, just anywhere. And I started learning about myself, uh, which also led me to get certified in personality assessments to where I am a specialized, I, I'm a specialist in the color code. So 
that was helpful. So, but what happened actually, Kendra, is I began to, began to be bitter. I began mm-hmm. to become bitter and resentful because when I realized who I was and what was done to me, and I realized all those labels were not even true, I became bitter at God, my husband. I had allowed, um, as those stories, as I said, have patterns, I allowed both female and other males in my life. And I'm talking males as in husband, um, mostly my husband, treat me unfairly. The common denominator was me. And I became bitter because it was their fault. And so instead of saying, you know, my mantra is that um, this is happening to me uh, or uh, for me instead of to me, I was actually succumbed to depression, um, to suicidal thoughts. And what happened was, although I decided to look what was right for me, um, it did stir up all this icky stuff, this toxic stuff. And I think that's what happens when we can't, we've got to at some point take and focus on ourselves and say, what's my responsibility in this? And so what happened was um, in the dark of the night, I was underneath my covers and I was literally Googling how to end my life without it causing pain for other people because I just wanted the pain to go away. I felt stuck. I didn't know how to get out of my grief. And so I found myself um, searching for ways to get out. Uh, And, you know, I grew up in, of course, in a home where we were told don't ever go there because those thoughts can become your reality. And so I knew better, but I was in so much pain. And um, so what happened was um, while I was searching, doing my Google search, I actually got interrupted. Uh, There was a text that came through from a girl who was a girl that I went to church with. And this is a girl who was a burn victim. Literally, she was in a house fire when she was little. And she sent me a text saying, hey, you know, how are you doing? And and uh, I kind of didn't want to, you know, be interrupted from my Google search, but went ahead. And to be polite, to be that people pleaser that I was, I went ahead and answered her, uh, you know, text. And I said, how are you doing? And she she basically told me that, Um, and keep in mind, this is a girl who is literally scarred from head to toe. She had had so many skin grafts done to her body. And, um, what she said to me that night was that she was struggling because her mother was still struggling with what happened to her when she was a little girl. And this, this girl's name is Andy. Um, Andy said that I try to tell her everything happens for a reason. And once we go to be with Christ, it will go all it will all go away we'll have a new body but she is stuck on now i don't know how to explain it but what happened to me made me stronger and there was a purpose i believe god put on my heart to help others to carry on and live and i am one of his witnesses we're all special to god but she doesn't understand jesus came to take all that away and ironically um, i knew in that moment that i was sent an angel in my mind, her words stuck on now. What happened to me made me stronger. There was a purpose. Carry on and live. We are all special to God. That was my turning point. And so from that point on, 
Um, I focused on what does God have to say about me? My, my depression didn't go away. Can't say that it went away, but it pivoted me out of that dark hole, never to go into that place again. And uh, I focused on what does God have to say about me? And he is my joy. He is where I find everything. Uh, but I also then developed the skills, became a certified life coach. And now what I do is I help women not only tap into who are you and what is your identity, but what are your gifts? What are the gifts that come out of the grief? What are the gifts that come out of the struggle? Because we take our personality, our abilities, our passions into our experiences. And who better to help someone through a suicidal experience than that person or who better to help someone through death than that person? Who better to help someone through cancer than that person? And there's tremendous meaning and purpose that come out of that. And so that was kind of um, the long, but in some ways short to my answer to you, because of course um, there's lots and lots of layers in between. But No, we can dive into some of these layers um, as well. Okay. Did I interrupt? Did I interrupt? No, you? sorry. I'm just. I'm just. Okay. Um, sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Can, okay. Okay. I can hear you fine. <laughs> okay. So yeah, no. Look at, thank you so much for sharing that because that is a concise but very, um, like you said, pivotal moment. But you you did a good job, like summarizing summarizing something that is so deep and so many layers. So let's go into some of those layers, if that's okay, because again, all these different aspects and something you said about the fact that when you go through something, you have that relatability to somebody else that may have, may be going through something you've gone through. So that is one of your gifts now, something that was something that happened, like how you say it. And I know that that's where I heard it. One of the first people I heard this life happened for me, not to me, was Sarah May. And being now that I know you and knowing how what a pivotal moment you were in her own um, journey of her healing through her amputations and so forth, I know how, um, yeah, you both are kindred spirits for sure. So some of the things that uh, that I've learned from her are probably even things that she even learned from you. So the, um, the, the relatability that comes then from somebody gone through something so hard you use now as an asset in your coaching, correct? Correct. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. So then what, so in that, in that relatability, like how do you find a way of, um, how do I say this? You have the empathy component, but at the same time also uh, removing yourself to some extent a little bit emotionally from your own experiences so that it's not projecting on somebody else that you're coaching. How do you, how do you do that? Especially when you're kind of revisiting sometimes wounds that you've gone through yourself. How do you, do you have a way of coping with those skills you, with those, those kind of situations? Yeah. For, for me personally, I'm on the other side of healing. So I can speak from a place of being healed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things about coaching that is uniquely different than if I mentored or discipled, taught or consulted is that when a client comes to me, they already have the answers within and I access yes, and I dialogue in questioning them in a way in which it's a safe container for them to basically articulate and hear themselves 
And literally we will go from point A to B in a coaching experience, one coaching experience, and we will turn the dial on moving forward. Forward, We're not looking back, we're moving forward. And so um, the other thing I do is um, I am a certified professional life coach. I am certified through a Christian program. And in that I keep the Holy Spirit as a Christian um, in my beliefs, Holy Spirit central. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to direct me. I'm essentially asking the Lord to direct me in what to ask. I have no lead in. This is where it's going to go. So it's really like, I like to say the whisper, the Bobby whisper in helping this person, you know, move forward and be able to hear their own voice. So I don't have any attachment to the outcome, but I do have to say I'm incredibly blessed and I learn from my clients because each one is so different and they, they process this so differently, you know, so. Now, what you said, what you said is so uh, key, the fact that you're just really just opening a channel and allowing, um, like you said, the Holy Spirit, however, I don't know, our listeners want to call it, mm-hmm. but really it is a divine kind of inspiration would just allow ourselves to have that space. Sometimes the wisdom is not ours. We're just really just that channel, you know, providing, like you said, the right question that maybe that person needs to hear. It's all, that's all it is. And being detached from like, oh, I helped, you know, we were just like the channel that, you know what I mean? A channel to allow the person to have that particular change or transformation or aha moment, as I always say, the like Oprah would say, you know, the aha moment that somebody would have. Um, but we, we were just really just a channel. Right. The, um, I, I, I like how you, how you said that. Okay. So let, let's talk about a little bit about your own journey and how, when this happened, when you had this, this call or text, sorry, from Andy, how, how long ago was that? Because that was your pivotal moment. So how long ago was that? Oh, I wish I would have marked it marked it in my calendar. Um, it was years ago, I would say at least. Year, I mean. How, 10, 12 yeah, years yeah. ago, I would say. Um, you oh. know, a lot of my growth, and, and you know, I grew up a, a preacher's daughter. So I, on the outside, again, I looked, I looked the part. I mean, I led classes. I was certified. But I could believe that you had worth but I couldn't believe it for myself. So her, so I had all the knowledge, I had the education, I had the background, I had the knowing, but I couldn't solidify it from head to heart. And so that, that happened was probably 12 plus years ago. And it just like trajectory forward, no more looking back, we're going to go forward and just really change the direction of my life at that point. So, yeah. So, so amazing too. And there was, there's something that you said when we had our previous conversation that some scars are outward and some are inward, you know, some of those wounds are things that could see. And in this case, even the person that was texting you was somebody that had outward wounds that could show how much they had been through in life. Yours were hidden, yours, and you wore a really good mask for many years, probably that even more hidden even, right? Because everybody thought you had the perfect life. So um, how how was it for you like to, when you started to kind of peel away those layers or, or, or were there any moments in your life in which you could actually feel that you were being transparent with all your wounds and who you were in that, pro- in the pain and the, you know, that you had gone through as a child? 
Right. Well, I, I guess for myself, is that another loaded question? <laughs> yes. But, um, for, yeah. for, uh, let me see if I can give you the short of it. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. For example, Sarah, you know, she's got, uh, legs that are very apparent that she is, um, with prosthetics. I got a brother who's in a brother-in-law who's in a wheelchair. So we can look at them. We can look at Andy and say, Oh, wow. Yeah. There definitely are some, scarring here but if you looked at myself you'd see this girl she's well put together and some of my coping mechanism instead of shutting the curtains and going into the dark mode of depression I would do the opposite I was the performer I will perform my way out of this hole and so I also was Mm. probably misunderstood in that way you know however I have been able to tell people my story I don't stand on my story as a platform. It's something I choose not to for various reasons. Uh, my my passion is to minister and touch lives. And I don't even have to tell my story. Most people want to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can tell that I can understand their pain because of where I've been. Um, the other part of why I don't tell my story is there's parts of that that I am preserving other people Um And I mean, again, my abuser was early childhood, but I'm talking about other people in my life that I choose not to share the details of my story so that I don't hurt them, that I give them dignity, that I give them honor, some of the uh, people that might be casualties if I shared my story. So, but I'm just as effective, um, you know, by just ministering because I've been there and but I do have to point out that it can be a challenge. And I will say that I've gone into a pity mode at times when someone who has the physical, I see your scars person gets support, gets sympathy and empathy, I should say. Um, all the while, sometimes those of us who can't tell all of our story can sometimes feel alone and and look for that extra support. Um, counseling is key. I found that in counseling. So, yeah, it's it's kind of, you know, I think to each person, uh, there's people who've been in my shoes and they can be an open book and share it. I just feel in my place right now at this time, that is not in my cards right now. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, um, for sharing that because that was something that I – I really, uh, in our first conversation, got from you is that aspect of really uh, forgiveness and not that judgment component that comes, in, at least on your end, on your side of the story of your past and really just moving forward, as you said, and um, and that not yeah, by not holding on to that, you're not letting you it control you, like whatever you know happened in your past. It's just a platform from where you came from, but it just basically it's kind of like a trampoline, right? It's like kind of like made you bounce to where you are now. So you focus on the, on the now of where, where it brought you to be. Right. Right. Yeah. So take us a little into your own, um, coaching, uh, what do you do now with women? Do you do groups? Do you do one-on-one? What are some of the methods that you use in your coaching? Yeah. So, and, and before I go that way, I just feel led to say something about what you said on forgiveness. Um, and I know you and I are, we both spoke of this, but, um, there's tremendous freedom that comes in forgiveness. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. 
but I do know just, I mean, it's been years that I have forgiven my abuser. However, I did not know if he knew that. I did not know if his family knew that. And that's so many years in the past that I don't know where he's at today. That's not my responsibility. But I did let him know that I wanted him to be released and I wanted him to know that I have forgiven and that it has um, really actually caused me to be who I am today. And honestly, I wouldn't change it for anything because of that. But I just, I guess my plug is that when we choose forgiveness, we get freedom. And when we choose unforgiveness, we get bondage. And I think that's what was really at the root of my depression laying under that bed was I was in that pity party of unfair. I hadn't forgiven myself. I hadn't forgiven others. And um, which leads me to where I'm at today in your question. Your second question there was um, what I'm doing today. And I think the greatest, if you ask me, and I know this is a podcast on grief, if you ask me what, what what's your greatest grief experience was actually not the abuse I've endured, but losing who I was, not knowing who I was. I mean, the one relationship I have outside of God is with myself and to lose who I am is like, I take myself um, in everywhere I go. And so that is essentially what I do today is help people today, women, really tap into their identity in the areas that cannot be taken away. It's not what I do, but who am I? I am a beloved, not a do loved. So it's not my body. It's not my net worth. It's not my achievements. Mm. It's not my status. What is it about you that can never be taken away? And then uh, mm. I also help people discover the layers of who they are. And there's five specific areas we overcome, in addition, limiting beliefs, see the beauty in the stuck. There's actually beauty in the stuck. And then help them to take all of that and bring meaning to life, contribute to life, serve in life. And um, I think one of the greatest ways to get out of grief is service. And, and how do we serve? We serve humility. We serve love. We serve hope from the places especially from where we've been. So um, that is essentially what I do. And I love it. I love the women and yeah, I love what I do. See, it's just like, yeah. It's so beautiful. I just, I got, I got chills right now when you were saying of like a real, the the best way to really get unstuck is by serving. And um, I, I love that. And would you mind just sharing briefly? Because again, since the listeners, i I know that a lot have heard some of the, <laughs> the earlier podcasts, how, how you were instrumental in, uh, in Sarah May's journey in that, in, yeah, in her process. Cause you flew from, she was in Texas at that moment and you flew from Oregon to be with her during her, sur- her initial, um, surgeries. And then afterwards, then you were the yeah, go, you you say it. You, yeah, you say sure. that that person because again in that discuss in that service you're, you're talking about service and that's what you were in her life and that's what you were then in other people's lives and that's what you've been in people's lives have been of service to others and now of course that's now your career but uh, but didn't always start as a career it started as naturally something that you were 
gifted yeah. to do or, you know, as your own way of healing? Yeah, sure. So I knew Sarah Mae from Oregon. We both were at the same gym and I made a compliment on her body. <laughs> and I said, girl, you have got a body that should be a fitness competitor. And she was, as I, as it turned out, we spoke two times. She asked, would you meet with me? Could you mentor me? I would like to run a boot camp." So we did, we had two coffee sessions. In the meantime, she moved to Arizona, then on to Texas. Uh, we made contact. I won't give the backstory to that, but we made contact and, um, you know, had always stayed in touch, but made contact for business opportunity. And the next week I went on a cruise and that week she ended up with uh, this incident where she got staph infection at a hospital uh, two days from getting ready to compete. And the one and a half month later comes out of the hospital. And um, the story goes that she had her both legs ampute amputated. And so, but while she was in Texas, um, not yet amputated, her fiance at the time asked me to come that way. And uh, keep in mind for a whole year, I had held Sarah May's hand over the phone. I was her mentor, her support for prayer, a place where she could just vent. And in that time, I know that a lot of her friends weren't sure probably how to respond. And I was familiar with this because of a brother-in-law who'd also been in a wheelchair. And so uh, I just administered uh, love and support and prayer and flew to Texas, stayed with her a week did not know her fiance. Her fiance picked me up. I thought, what did I get myself into? I don't even know her really. Um, but I did. I, I held her, laid with her in bed, uh, facilitated care, and then was there for her surgery when she had her legs amputated. And then she had two hip surgeries. Uh, and uh, it was a hip replacement surgery, was there for both of those. And uh, I remember when she had her legs amputated, it was actually one of the hardest times in my entire life. I was going through um, a very, very, very difficult time. And, uh, and, and like I say, I feel like I'm the, profess the professional at grief, <laughs> coming out of grief. Uh, but it was a difficult time. And I just remember I had to put on the hat that was going to support, nurture, care for Sarah May. And I remember when her legs were amputated, um, putting a pillow where her legs went, were once so that she didn't have to visualize being without her legs. And I remember it was in that moment that I also realized the giftings that I had and had it not come from my serving her, showing her dignity, showing her love, taking the time to listen, mm -hmm giving her hope, putting my own stuff on the back burner for a moment to see someone else. I don't, I, I mean, that experience blessed me. Sarah says it blessed her, but it blessed me. And Sarah May is in part too why I have the Worth Project because she would say, Bob's, you need to be a Worth coach. And I remember piping up because uh, it was 12 years ago from today that I had a flip phone that every time I tried to put my name Bobby in it, it would say coach and I would have to correct it. And someone had breathed life into me 12 years prior. You should be a life coach. So between all those people and all those sayings and including Sarah May, it kind of led me to where I am today. 
Um, but yeah, taking that serving when, when we serve, there's something very powerful with serving dignity, serving love Mm -hmm. and hope, especially to people who are grieving. And, uh, that's what I did with Sarah. And so, yeah, she became my community. She came, you know, you get close to these people too, as you serve, they become your friends and family, Mm -hmm. you know, um, talk about bonded there, you know? So yeah, it's a different level. It's a different level. It's because it's a it's in a spiritual soul level when you've connected somebody Absolutely. in that way, yes. uh, and you've been yeah. through hardships and and serving in that way, like you did, um, and and having been part of that transformation, right, of that grief component of her life that was also then a birth component as well, right, because um, she she also shifted and changed and was birthed into who she is now, right? The right, strength right. and the courage and all the other things because of that incident. Um, so yeah, so many things come from that. I love how you say that when we serve dignity, when we serve people with hope, it's not the what we, it's not the doing, it's not like, it's not the things we can do in terms of like, okay, I just want to rephrase this because you're using the qualities that come into into play in service. You're not saying like when we give people money, when we give them, you know, this, it's the qualities that go into those actions. And I love how you're phrasing that. So what are some of the ways that you would say, that you would think that in dignity, for example, and in, um, and in hope, what are some of the ways that you could do that, like with examples? I don't know if, I, if I'm making sense. Like uh, the fact that you put like the pillows on her legs, for example, in Sarah May's case, that would be dignity because you're wanting her to kind of feel still like she, you know, whole, right? And giving her that feeling. What other ways would you say that dignity plays a part in service? Yeah, um, well, I guess as I was just thinking, you know, really I have to give God glory for everything because I was in my own pain but a different pain. And I really was just listening to the voice of God saying, you know, just go. I was scared to death. I mean, I'd never taken care of anybody like that to that capacity. What do you say to someone who's just lost their legs? But God gave me grace. And he, he, I have to give all glory to him because he spoke through me to know what to say. But I also think he's the perfect example, you know? And so I guess with Sarah in this case is, I can never actually feel her pain, but I can have compassion for her pain. And I definitely can hold space for her to articulate it and show it and be patient with her process and her journey, even though it's not my journey and not tell her how she should feel, but just to be there and just to love her, to hold her, to read her, to see the body language that's happening and just, you know, just standing beside her sometimes we don't have to say a word. People can just know that we're there. And so that's a way. I think another way mm-hmm. is sometimes our grief in life can come through our own mistakes. You know, I know some of my own mistakes are um, heavier to carry than the mistakes and things that people have put on me. And so practicing self-compassion is key. But also when we encounter someone who's grieving because they have screwed up and who hasn't that we show them dignity. We, we show them love and compassion and, 
forgiveness and, and that empathy and, and trust that they can share their story and they will not be judged, but instead just to, to be with them there. And when they reach the other side, then, and they've worked through maybe that shame and guilt, but then they can see the purpose in it, even when they've maybe failed. Um, God, God, God gives grace and he can work all things for good. He can bring purpose out of pain. He can bring a messy old story and give us a message. And so I, I truly believe that, um, you know, we all started in our diapers, <laughs> making those messes and we're mm-hmm. all going to be laid down one day. We sometimes end that way. Yeah. Yep. And the common yeah. denominator of life is pain, is mistakes is imperfection. And so just by allowing people to, you know, make mistakes, knowing that, hey, you know, this is not the end. And and not only that, on the other side, something's good, good's going to come out of it, you know. And so that's honoring to me is um, just, just extending the same for which we would want to receive and speaking it in love the way we would want to receive it. And um, yeah, so, and with Sarah May, there was, I, there- I love that you said so many things that are, um, that are so helpful for somebody listening that may encounter somebody else going through a grief process in their life. And the fact of just really just being there, you, you don't have to, you don't have to be the expert. You just have to basically be again, that vessel that just shows up and the help will come, (laughs) help will come. And the right, if you, if it's the right words or if it's the right action of just holding somebody's hand, that will come as long as it's coming from that aspect of service and from your heart, from your soul, uh, the rest will follow. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I heard your podcast with your brother and you have your life experience with death and the two of you do not carry the same response and how you perceive it. And so one other tip or Mm -hmm. trick is, you know, because someone maybe has experienced, let's say divorce, and you're getting to help them with divorce, or I've heard people on your podcast who've lost a child, and let's say I've lost a child, or in my case, sexual abuse, and someone else has lost sexual abuse. I can't tell someone how to feel. We're not the same. We carry different experiences, but it goes back to, I know what pain feels like. I know what grief feels like. I know what shame feels like. I know what guilt feels like. I know what freedom feels like. So I know that the journey is different for everybody. The length of time is different. So I just want to be here for you. And I just want you to know I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm, that is just so beautiful. Okay, so now tell you were you were kind of diving in a little bit into how it is you coach. So do you do groups? Do you do one on one? Tell us how people can find you. And I want to make sure to honor if there's anything else you wanted to share about your own life before you share a little bit more about your your gifts now and how others can have access to them. Uh, to them. I mean, that's, it sounds kind of weird, but connect with you um, before we move on to that. Was there something else you wanted no, to say before I, we move on to that that's aspect? great. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful. So, so yeah, so tell, so tell us then about the Worth Project and tell us the process. As you said, you 
Um, you were talking about the color code, assessing personalities. Mm -hmm. You were talking about your life coaching has to do a lot with your Christian life coach as well. Um, do you ever coach people? I'm curious. Do you ever coach people in which maybe they're not, their focus may not be like as God driven as yours, for example, have you ever had that, uh, that happen and how do you kind of navigate yeah, I, I absolutely do. Uh, you know, I let people know up front who I am, um, that I'm a Christian and I uh, coach from a Christian perspective. However, I will not impose my Christian beliefs on anyone. And again, in coaching, it's really about the client and the client is boss. They know they it's, it's all about them. I take my agenda off the, off the table. I um, really want to hear from them. I just have the leading questions that take them in the direction that I feel that would help them get from point A to B and get in, you know, unstuck in that hour. Uh, I always ask the question, you know, how would they like to include their faith if they would like to, but absolutely, I will coach all females, mm -hmm. all ages, uh, let's bring it on, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> and do you prefer one-on-one? -on -one? Is that the, one-on-one is, -on -one is your method of coaching or do you also do group coaching? I do one-on-one -on -one and uh, I do coaching and then I do a lot of teaching so when I mentor slash teach, I let them know which one I'm doing. So they'll know if I'm coaching one-on-one -on -one or if I'm teaching one-on-one. -on -one. I have a lot of free things that I give that goes along with. And what's the, yeah, what's the difference between the two? So coaching again is client is telling and I do all the listening. In fact, I, I listen 80% of the time. Um, and that client um, is speaking 80% of the time. I'm, I'm, I'm talking 20%, I should say. Um, and they're just boss. I'm just listening. I'm listening for key words. And I ask powerful questions. Whereas teaching is more about, for example, if I give a personality assessment, I will tell you about that assessment. And I will teach you um, what that means as it applies to yourself. How might that apply to you in life, in business, in communicating with a spouse, which is, or children, it's a game changer. Those personality assessments, I have a spiritual gifts assessment, values, what are your values? So those all come under the umbrella of teaching and mentoring. Um, and mentoring, again, is much like coaching, but in mentoring, I am telling more I'm still asking questions. There's back and forth dialogue. Coaching is its own game. And when you combined both teaching with coaching, I heard a quote, and I don't remember the exact number, but productivity uh, goes up to 88% when you combine teaching with coaching. There's something very powerful about someone being able to come up with their own answers in coaching. It's not me telling you the best answer for you, you're coming up with it. And oftentimes a client will say, wow, I can't believe that came from my own mouth. And it's just like, it sticks, <laughs> it sticks. It's, it's like they, they, they can feel it. It's a conviction now. It's the they back. heard themselves. Yeah. And it fits best. Only, yes. only you as a client can decide what fits best. And it's just your mind speaking out loud. And I'm like, wow, did you just hear that? Yeah. So that's the kind of the difference. What's the best way for somebody to reach you and work with you? So, and you offer a free um, 
coach the first uh, coaching yeah, free so, or complimentary yeah. uh, discovery call. So one of the things too, I you know you ask about group text uh, or group coaching. One of the things that I am working on is a program, a couple of programs actually, where people can get in on it together. So let's say you wanted to bring in three, five, six friends of yours, and you could come through one of my programs, and it's it's uh, a program where together you're learning the gifts in um, the moments that we feel stuck, and there's actually gifts in it, and being able to see it and have a different perspective, because all throughout life, if there's not one area, mm-hmm. there's going to be more areas than we know that we feel stuck, but to see it in a different light and a different perspective is an incredible tool. So that's in the near future. So keep, you know, stay tuned on that. And then there is um, another format that I'm I'm also uh, putting together as well. That's more geared toward strengths, the strengths that you have. Um, And again, group, group setting to where you can go out and contribute in your home, in your community, abroad, and be part of a contribution to, um, you know, your world. And using your gifts, using your strengths, mm-hmm. and even through life experiences, and especially through life experiences. So, uh, one-on-one coaching, or how to get a hold of me, uh, the best place is to go to www.theworthproject.org, or and where I'm also at, and most often at, is on Instagram, which you can also find my website there. And that is know your worth underscore Bobby Joe, all one word, know your worth underscore Bobby Joe. Reach me there. I do have a complimentary um, discovery call, just kind of getting to know someone, find out how I can help them. And also I have complimentary color code. If you reach me, I'll send you a free color code assessment. I also have a free values assessment. And so I I just have a lot of great free, we all love that word, um, gifts to give people. And most (laughs) of all, I would love to connect with people, hear where they're at. I love hearing from people. I love new connections and um, just seeing how I can, you know, be of help to somebody. So. Yeah, we learn so much from connecting with others. That's one of the things I've loved about even just this podcast is when I talk to other people, I learn so much even just about myself and every single conversation. And it's just such a uh, such a gift, you know, that to be able to have those human or soul soul to soul connections. Let me put it that way, soul to soul connections. And so, um, so yes, thank you so much, and for honoring us with your time and, uh, and for, in your wisdom and, and all the nuggets that, that I was writing down and stuff here. So thank you so much, Bobby Joe. Oh, you're welcome. I'm blessed and I'm honored. And I just want to say thank you to you and also such a big shout out to you for making this happen and for people to have a place where they can listen. And I know I've been blessed by so many of your podcasts that I've gotten to listen to. And I feel like they've added like these little nuggets that I can use even in my own coaching to be able to have various perspectives, you know, of that grief process and the gray in between. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I just, I say (laughs) shout out to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I am truly honored to be here and uh, be part of your podcast. So thank you. 
I'm grateful. Thank you, Bobby Joe. And thank you, Sarah May, again, for connecting us. Yes, and Sarah for May. anybody listening, this is how you, you can be a part as well. Yeah. And this is how you can be part of the podcast, too. If you hear this podcast and you're like, oh, my goodness, my, I think my, short, my story would be inspirational or my friend's story would be inspirational, please have them reach out because you never know like whose life you could change by just sharing your own story. So thank you once again. You bet. Thank you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.